Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, I want to focus today on the magnificent first reading. It's taken from the Acts of the Apostles. Great text, by the way, if you're just getting into the scripture and you want to read a text that's very involving, very lively. I'd recommend the Acts of the Apostles. But here we have the recounting of a speech, a deeply evangelical speech given by St. Peter on Pentecost morning. He and the other disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit, and they were carrying on so enthusiastically that the bystanders thought they were drunk. It's Peter who gets up and clarifies for them The reason for their excitement, listen, let the whole house of Israel know for certain that God has made both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. Hmm. There's the essence of evangelical proclamation. Why is this Jew speaking with such passion to his fellow Jews? Why is he so excited, so worked up? Because he's telling them their long national and religious wait is over. For centuries, the Israelite community had been longing and hoping, How long, O Lord? When will you deliver your people? That's what he's telling them. Deliverance has come because this Jesus, this particular Israelite from Nazareth, has been declared by his resurrection from the dead, both Lord and Christ. Let me look at both those titles that Peter evokes, taking the second one first. Christ, our English word derived from the Greek word Christos, which is the translation of the Hebrew Mashiach, Messiah, the Anointed One. If we consult the Psalms, the prophets, the patriarchs, we find that the Mashiach, the Messiah, was to emerge as the great champion of his people, the one who would defeat the enemies of Israel and emerge as king of the nations. That was the fond hope of the Israelite people, even, yes, in the midst of all their trials and struggles. What's Peter saying on that extraordinary Pentecost morning? That though he was the most unlikely candidate for this title, a crucified criminal put to death by Israel's enemies with the collusion of the Israelite people. Nevertheless, this Jesus, through God's power, has now been declared Mashiach, Christ. And here's something that Peter knew very well, and so did the Israelites listening to him. This message was not for Israel alone, but for the world. They know, if the Mashiach has come, that their religious mission to be a light unto the nations has come to fulfillment. 
Yahweh, that's what Peter's saying, Yahweh has acted through Israel now for the redemption of the world. Through the resurrection of Christ, sin and death, the enemies of the whole human race have been defeated. That's why, as he and his fellow apostles were speaking, they were so excited that people thought they were drunk. Now, what's the second title that Peter gives to Jesus? He calls him Lord. A pious Jew of the first century would never have used God's proper name, God's name of Yahweh, but really it meant the unpronounceable name. What they would have said was Adonai, Adonai, Lord. It's translated as Kyrios in the Greek. Lord, in other words, was a title reserved uniquely for God. And here's the absolutely mind-bending, baffling, extraordinary, overwhelming thing that Peter is saying. That this Jesus, this particular Israelite from Nazareth, this one whom you crucified, is Lord. He is God. Not only is he Christ, Mashiach, the faithful Israel, he is also in some mysterious way Yahweh himself. God had spoken in various and fragmentary ways through the prophets. But now, in these latter times, Peter is saying, he has spoken through his Son. Yahweh has come in person to liberate his people. Yes, he had sent hundreds of messengers, emissaries over the centuries, great representatives, great spokespersons like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel, and the rest of them. But now, Peter is saying, though he can barely understand the full implications of his words, yet he's saying, Yahweh has come now in person to liberate his people. Can you see again why he was so excited his fellow apostles with him, so excited that people thought they were drunk. You know, I'd like us to pause for a moment and to reflect on the excitement of these first proclaimers of the gospel. I think for most of us in our, you know, still nominally Christian culture, Jesus is old news. Heard it. Yeah, sure, Jesus and his cross. So what? And we wonder why we are so evangelically ineffective. We wonder why this message of Christ and his cross is not setting the world on fire, at least in the West, at least in our culture. It is in other places in the world, mind you. Go to the South. Go to the Far East. You will find some of this evangelical spirit. The great enemies of the human race have been defeated, and God has come in person to save us. Can you imagine any better news? Any more exciting news? And yet, yet, Christians, sadly, 
You can watch somebody on cable TV who's advertising an exercise machine showing more excitement about his message than many Christian preachers. That's why we got something of an evangelical crisis right now. Now, listen to the effect that real evangelical preaching has on people that hear it. We hear, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. That beautiful little phrase, isn't it? When the crowd, this original audience on Pentecost, heard St. Peter, they were cut to the heart. How many people now are cut to the heart when they hear us speak about Jesus? If we give our watered-down messages, our bland, secularized accounts, no one's going to be cut to the heart. It's because we've not allowed this great message to cut us to the heart. We're unable to communicate it with this, this requisite passion and vigor. If we've allowed Jesus to become one bland figure among many, one religious teacher among many, then no one's going to be cut to the heart by our words. No one's going to be changed by our words. But listen, if he is the Christ, if he's the warrior who has conquered our greatest enemies, if sin and death have been humbled by him, more to it, if he is the Lord, he is God among us, then everything else becomes secondary in comparison to him. If he is all those things, then our language about him must be fiery language. And then, friends, it will cut people to the heart. Listen now to what they say to Peter after they've been so affected by his words. They say, what then are we to do? That's a great question too, is it? You never hear the gospel of Christ and simply blandly take it in as a bit of new intellectual information. You know, if you're listening to a lecture by a professor, and even if you find his ideas very interesting and compelling, well, you say that's great. But man, when you hear a message that cuts you to the heart, that's the question that comes to your, your lips. What then are we to do? Good, good. And here's Peter's answer. Repent and be baptized, every one of you. <laughs> That's it, isn't it? That's the Christian thing. Repent. That was the first word out of Jesus' own mouth in the Gospel of Mark. That was the essence of his preaching, repent. So Peter repeats it. Repent means change. Turn around. Reorient the whole of your life toward him. See, if you hear the message of Jesus, but you're not summoned to repentance, you haven't heard it right. Oh yeah, Jesus, interesting, intriguing. But I'm not going to change my life. I'm not going to reorder my whole life toward him. Then you haven't heard the message. Then you've not heard that he's Christ and that he's Lord. You've heard him as a, as a bland secular figure, a bland mildly interesting figure. But, but, if you've heard this message right, then yes, you're going to want to repent, to order your whole life, mind, will, body, passions, everything in you, toward Him. You want Him to take over your life. 
And then secondly, Peter says, and be baptized. Yes, this great sacrament that the church from the beginning has recognized as indispensable for salvation. To be baptized, that means to be dipped under the water and immersed in the dying of the Lord. It means to die unto your old self and now to be configured unto Him. That's what baptism means. Furthermore, it means inclusion in the church. See, if you've heard the word about Jesus Christ, you say, okay, I want to repent. I want to turn my life to Him. You can't do it simply on your own. You're not meant to. You're meant to be drawn into His mystical body, which is the church, and that happens in baptism. And what flows from this? Peter goes on. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Do you want the Spirit of God in you? You'll get it if you're baptized into Christ. You know why? When you're baptized, you're grafted onto the Son. You become one with the Son. But the Spirit is the love that connects the Father and the Son. Therefore, you've been grafted not just into the mystical body of the church. You've been grafted into the inner life of God, and you will have the Holy Spirit in you. That's what Peter is saying. When you repent, when you're baptized, you'll receive the very inner life of God. Wow, what a punch this message has. And look how it ends. It says about 3,000 persons were added that day. No wonder. Boy, will people join the church. Will they get excited? Will they be cut to the heart? Will they want to repent? Will they want to be baptized when they hear from our lips this fiery evangelical speech, this bold proclamation of Jesus Christ as Lord and Messiah? And God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. The cemetery ministry is a core ministry of our Catholic faith tied to the corporal works of mercy. Cardinal George says, It's comforting to know that our Catholic cemeteries are caring for the remains of our loved ones awaiting the resurrection. There are 43 Archdiocese of Chicago cemeteries willing to help you during times of loss. Call 708-449-6100 for assistance. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837.